Hey, everybody. In, in the Spanish language, when a statement that is either a, a question or an exclamation, uh, at the beginning of that sentence, they put an upside down question mark, an upside down uh, exclamation mark. That way you know what you're reading, what the statement is. And so I want to do something similar today. I want to open in prayer and close in prayer, kind of like bookends, asking God to give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, and feet to go and do. So if you would bow your heads and pray with me. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity to to worship together today, Lord, even though we're in various locations. Lord, with, with worshiping and studying with various people, Lord, I ask that you would bless this service today. Lord, that, that our worship will bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, that we will grow as people as we study uh, your word today. Lord, I ask that you would, would be with uh, our ears, Lord, that, that we'll be able to tune in, stay focused, and, and listen today. Lord, I ask that you will be with our hearts to be receptive of your word as we discuss today, Lord. And then afterwards, I ask that what we talk about, we will go and do. Lord, that we won't just be hearers of the word, Lord, but we will be doers of the word. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. This is 4th of July weekend, and we're celebrating America's 244th birthday, which is amazing. We've been a country now for uh, that long, and God's done some amazing things in our country, and uh, I hope you are celebrating safely this weekend. Uh, And I I love fireworks, uh, being able to blow up stuff, and uh, fireworks are like the candles of America's birthday, and so it's a lot of fun. Uh, I've always enjoyed getting to to use bottle rockets and and, fireworks. blackjacks and all those types of fireworks. Uh, it is a blast. So I hope you're staying safe. Hope you're enjoying as we celebrate just the freedoms we have here in America that God has blessed us with that several of our, our Christian brothers and sisters around the world do not have. Um, but we thank God for those and we use those for his glory. And since you, uh, we have met in our building is Usually you guys see my son Limerick running around uh, the lobby, uh, mainly with donuts in hand. Uh, and so next time you see him, he, he's gotten a lot bigger. He's almost to that terrible age. He's already to the terrible twos, but he's going to get to that terrible age where he, he asked the why question, where every question is just why, why, why? And there was actually a cartoon I used to watch as a child that this little girl would ask that question and she would find a random adult and ask them why they were doing something. And then after they explained, she'd say, why? And they explain a little bit more and why and why? And she keep asking until they're about to explode with frustration. And right before they got to that point, they would, uh, she would, she would tell them, okay. And she would just run off and that was it. And, and I, I'm afraid uh, my son is going to do that to his mother and I in the near future. Uh, But it got me thinking with him getting ready to ask all these questions. And I thought about all the questions I ask. I I love to ask questions and understand why something is or or how you did that or what's the purpose of doing that. And I asked my wife 
questions all the time and, and why she used those spices in this meal or, or how she was able to substitute this ingredient. My, my wife is an amazing cook. And so she's always coming up with concoctions that, that turn out amazing that if I was to do the exact same thing, it, it would be nowhere near as good as it. I just don't have uh, the ability to do that, but she does. And so I want to know like how it comes naturally to her. And she makes things and she made this planter and it called for using funnels and she improvised and used something else. And I wanted to know how she came up with that. And so I'm always asking questions, how, uh, how she did that, why she did that, how she got so lucky and married me. That one always ends with, with an eye roll. Uh, and I know the answer to that. She didn't. She didn't get lucky. I got lucky. Um, and so I am very blessed. But thinking about all these questions and asking questions is not something new. It is the Bible is full of people asking questions. And we've been asking questions since Cain asked God, am I my brother's keeper? And in studying, there are several questions I came across and a few of them stuck out to me. They all were in the same vein of questions. And the question is, what shall I do? And they were followed, what shall I do to have eternal life? Or, or what must I do to be saved? The rich young ruler, he asked this of Jesus, the lawyer in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He asked this. The people who heard Peter at Pentecost, they asked. The Philippian jailer, he asked Paul. Each of these people are, are asking the same thing. How do I enter the kingdom of God? How do I get close to God? How do I get in his presence? What must I do to be saved? How do I do this? And I want to look at one of these stories, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 25 through 37. And in chapter 10 is Jesus sent out 72 disciples. And you're, you're asking, well, no, I thought there was only 12 disciples. Well, Jesus had 12 close disciples, but he still had other disciples who were following him. And disciple is someone who, who follows after a teacher to learn more from them. And so Jesus had quite the following of disciples. And so he had his original close 12, but there were others that he was investing in as well who, who were gleaning from him and listening to him. And so Jesus sent out these 72 disciples ahead of him to where he was going. And he told them, hey, you're going to heal the sick. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to do some great things, but I don't want you to take anything with you. Don't take money. Don't take an extra uh, tunic. Uh, don't, don't worry about where you're going to sleep is you'll go there and, and people will take care of you. And if they don't, you're going to shake the dust off your feet, which was a kind of an insult uh, in those days. And he said, you're going to do that and say, we don't want anything to do with you because you wouldn't receive this good news, these things that Jesus had us do. And so they do that. And then they come back to Jesus and the other disciples and they're ecstatic. It is the demons were obeying their commands. The, the people were being healed and God was doing some really amazing things through these disciples. And so everyone's on a spiritual hike on cloud nine about this. And so Jesus goes and uh, he starts teaching some people again, which he did all the time is telling people uh, various things. So he's teaching and one of the people asked him a question, a lawyer. So let's start in verse 25. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? 
And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. For Jesus, the Old Testament is the definitive, unerring standard of faith and practice. And there's nothing wrong with the lawyer's answer. Do this and, and you will live. Knowledge of what shall I do to inherit the eternal life is insufficient. You can't just know what to do. You have to put it into practice. One must do this. Jesus is about to show the lawyer that he falls far short of following these commands. So desiring to justify himself reveals the lawyer's insincerity. Who is my neighbor? An improper question because the lawyer was trying to exclude responsibility for others by making some people non-neighbors. A more appropriate question would have been, how can I be a loving neighbor? So Jesus uses a parable, a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So let's look at some of the details of this parable. Jesus references the law and the lawyer's answer comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 and from Leviticus 19. And Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7, it would have been written on uh, a mezuzah or on a piece of scroll and placed in a mezuzah, which is on the doorpost of a Jewish home. If you have any Jewish friends, uh, most likely they have one of these on their doorpost uh, at the main entrance to their home. And they knew this by heart. It is Deuteronomy, it says to teach this to your children, to talk about it when you're on the road, to speak about it when you get up and when you lie down. And so uh, a devout Faithful Jew repeated this prayer twice daily and it encapsulates the idea of total devotion to God. And it includes the duty to obey the rest of God's commandments, not just a few. And when it says heart, soul, and mind, these do not represent rigid compartments of human existence, but rather together they refer to the whole person. All of us are to do that, not just a part of us. And the road that Jesus talks about, it goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this road is about 18 miles long. And it's actually still around today. You can go walk this road and travel it and see. 
And when Jesus said going down to, as he is talking about literally going down, is Jerusalem sat about 3,200 feet above Jericho. And so it drops about 200 feet every mile. And so you were on a downward slope going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And there were long stretches on this road that had rocky terrain that made it a perfect spot for a robber to hang out and set up base and steal from people. And then let's look at the characters in this story. You First, you have a priest. And a priest was a descendant of Aaron, you know, Moses' brother. And they had priestly responsibilities in the temple at Jerusalem. And the primary job of a priest was to officiate at temple sacrifices. People would bring their sacrifice to the temple and the priests were the ones to offer it to God. And then there's a Levite. So, so a priest is they are, they're a Levite who's a descendant of Aaron. And a Levite, they are just from the family of the Levites, but not descendants of Aaron. And so they're a member of the tribe. And the job of the Levite was to maintain the temple and its services. And so they worked together at the temple, doing various roles, various jobs. And then you have the Samaritans. And when Jesus would have said Samaritans, there would have been a change in the countenance of those people hearing him. There's a disregard for the Samaritan people at this day and time. The Samaritans, they were a blend of all kinds of people. They were made up of Israelites who were not exiled uh, when the northern kingdom was destroyed in 722 BC. And there are various different nationalities who the Assyrians brought into that area. And over the years, the Israelites who were left behind after the exile to Babylon, the, the Daniels, the, the Shadrachs and Meshachs and Abednegoes who went to Babylon, then you had the ones who were left in Israel, is those ones, they started marrying in with these other nationalities and these other groups and, and created a new people called the Samaritans. And so now the, the priests and the Levites, they, they worked at the temple they were looked up to by, by all Israelites. These are the people you, you want your kids to look up to, to act alike. Of all people, these would be the ones who, who are upright, godly men. If anyone should be a great example, it should be these two. Do you, do you ever watch a movie and you know the ending from the very beginning? Like, you know, okay, that person's the murderer. That person's the thief. Uh, they're hiding over here. My, my wife is great at, uh, at figuring that out from the very beginning. Thankfully, she waits to tell me until the end uh, because I never see it coming. Um, the people who are listening in this crowd, they're like that. They're thinking that they know what the ending's gonna be like. Jesus rattles off about the priest and like, oh, this guy's gonna help him. And then he rattles off about the Levite. Like, well, no, it's this guy. He's gonna help them. But Jesus throws these curveballs in the story so what do the priests and the Levites do? They go out of their way from the injured man. The reason they passed by to the other side is that they didn't want to become unclean from this man. They didn't know what had happened. It says that he was left for dead. He, he, he seemed half dead, which probably seemed like all dead to them, barely breathing. And if they were to touch a dead body, that would make them unclean. That was one of the various ways you could become unclean. And they would have to go through a, a ritual, a purification to become clean again. And it took about eight days to do that. And they wouldn't be able to do their priestly and Levitical duties for those eight days. And so they walk 
around to the other side. If Jesus was telling this parable today, it would be like one of us contracting COVID-19 from someone else and then having to quarantine ourselves for 14 days. That's what would happen to these guys if they became unclean, if we caught the virus. So those who are listening are probably thinking, where is this story going? What is Jesus trying to get at? If if a priest and a Levite will walk by and leave this man, who's going to help him? Who's going to help our fellow brother? And then Jesus throws the final strikeout and he introduces the Samaritan, the hated person by the Jews. And as I said earlier, the, the Samaritans are a mixed race of Israelites and other nations. And if you're, if you're into reading Harry Potter, they are the mudbloods of the Bible times. They were hated by the Jews because they weren't full-blooded Israelites. They had similar beliefs and practices that they, they traced their lineage to the same people. But they were not God's chosen people like the Jews were. The Jewish people didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans, so much so that some devout Jews would cross the Jordan River, go up the east side, and then cross back into it just to not enter Samaria when they were going from Jerusalem to Galilee. That's how much they did not like the Samaritans or being around them. So what does the Samaritan do? He sees this man. He he doesn't reprimand the man for being on the dangerous road. He doesn't tell him, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Why would you be on here alone? What could be going through your mind? He he doesn't give him a lecture about where he went wrong in life and and how these mistakes that he's made have led to this moment in time. He he doesn't say, hey, God hates you because you've done this. But, But when he sees him, instead of passing by the other side, instead of welling up with hatred towards the people who hate him, he has compassion for him. He, he dresses his wounds. He, he puts him on his own animal, which means that he has to walk, which means he's susceptible to being attacked by robbers because he can't get away quickly now. He takes him to an inn and he takes care of him. He can't stay. Instead of telling the guy, hey, check out's at 11 a.m., be gone by then. Hopefully you can walk. Hopefully you're fine. We'll see you later. No, he goes to the innkeeper and gives him two denarii, two days wages. And he says, take care of him. And he goes beyond and says, hey, if anything happens, he needs more money. He's like, when I come back by, I will pay you back for what it costs you. Watch over him. Jesus asked the lawyer, who he thinks was being neighborly. The lawyer doesn't even want to say the word Samaritan. So he says, the one who showed mercy and probably still tasted like vinegar. Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. So, so who is your neighbor? Is it just those you like? Is it just those who are like you, those who have the same political leaning or same values? Is that your neighbor? Is that the only people you have to be compassionate towards? No. Our neighbor is anyone and everyone. We are called to show mercy, kindness, and compassion to all people. There's no list that we check that allows us to only be loving towards certain people. And up to this point in history, right now, we are the most connected that we've ever been And so our neighbors are people in China that we talk to on Facebook and people in Palo Alto who who we FaceTime and people in London who we call on the phone and people in Russia who we email. Everyone is our neighbor today. 
Now, now I want you to put yourself in this story. Who do you see yourself as? Who, who are you? Did, did you choose the priest or the Levite? You're going to walk around. Is that what you would do? You're not very neighborly. Did you choose the good Samaritan? You, would you go help that person? No, no, no. This, this is your story. You're the person on the side of the road. You're the one beaten up at your worst in the dust. That, that's you. The difference is that someone didn't come and do this to you like the robbers did to the man. You did it to yourself. Your, your sin puts you in that place. Your, your sin caused this. That ache you have deep in your bones, that agony, that guilt, that's because of sin. And just like the man on the side of the road, you need help too. You need someone to come and rescue you. Because if you don't, you, you don't have any hope. You need a good Samaritan. But here's the good news. Despite your failures, despite your poor decisions in life, despite your sin, God had a plan. Jesus acts like the good Samaritan in your story. He doesn't reprimand you. He doesn't yell at you. He doesn't say, why would you do this? Why are you acting this way? He doesn't say God hates you. No, he loves you. He, he comes into your mess. He comes into your filth. He comes into the depths of your sins. And because he loves you, he refuses to leave you where he found you. So he took your sin upon himself. He, he took your place on the cross and he died for you. He gave his life for you. He, he took the death you should have had because he loves you. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, no, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus loves us so much that he refuses to leave us where he finds us, to leave us in our sinful ways not to throw it in our face, not to, to guilt trip us over it, no, but to bring us into new life. God gave everything for us, not to point a finger at us, but to save us from certain death. The lawyer asked the question in verse 25, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The answer to that is you have to believe in Jesus. You have to put your hope in him. You have to repent of your sins, calling on him to save you, to being baptized. If that's you, there's no better day than today to make that decision. We would love to talk to you about accepting the free gift of salvation. You can click the link in the description that says decision, and we will celebrate with you and we'll talk more about that with you. Maybe you've been baptized, but, but you've been holding on to these sins that Jesus freed you from <clears throat> and you want to let go of them. You want to release them. You don't want to live in that life of sin anymore and you want to rededicate your life to God. You can click that same link that says decision and we will celebrate with you too. Whatever decision you're making today, I want to encourage you with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. What decision do you need to make today? Let me pray. God, I thank you for this parable. Lord, the story Jesus told that shows us that, that we need to be neighborly. We need to love all, Lord, not just those who are like us, who think the same, Lord, who, who act the same, but, but everyone, all of your creation, Lord, that you have poured breath into. Lord, we are your greatest creation and we are called to love everyone. So help us to do that, Lord. And, and I ask anyone who, who needs to have you come into their life, Lord, that, that you would do that, that, that they would come and ask for forgiveness. They would ask you to come take away their sins. Lord, they will not lie on the side of that road anymore, Lord, but, but you will come and lift them from that. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice, for, for your death on the cross, Lord, but, but more than that, for rising from the dead. Lord, you gave your all for us so we might spend eternity with you, that we might inherit eternal life. Lord, help us to be more like your son. Help us to live out this passage. Lord, we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.